everyone, and welcome to Chowhound's Table Talk podcast, where we chat with some of the most influential names in the food space. I'm your host, Hannah Ospring. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Chowhound's Table Talk. We're joined today by Maria Speck, an award-winning author and journalist who's a venerable expert in ancient grains. She's written two books, Simply Ancient Grains and Ancient Grains for Modern Meals, and is a great advocate for adding more whole grains into your diet. Maria calls the Boston area home, but she was raised in both Germany and Greece, two cultures with deep, rich, centuries-old grain traditions. And I've been lucky enough to work with Maria in the past, and she's been a great resource for me and a joy to learn from especially if you want to learn more about white whole wheat flour and the best way to make a low-lift German stolen around the holidays. She's your girl. I'm so happy to have you here today, Maria. Welcome to Chowhound and welcome back to New York. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here and talk about my favorite topic. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Hannah. Yes, of course. I mean, the, I was just talking to you about how uh, wonderful this book is just in terms of not just the delicious recipes that just you know jump off the page the photography is just so appealing but it Thank truly you. is a resource and one gets to learn so much about grains that are not so readily available or or things that we don't normally turn to in our everyday diet yeah that's really important for me to help people um you know especially if they maybe encounter a new grain or how can they cook it like also less known grains like teff which i love or amaranth and um, so the purpose of the book was really to make this super simple because wherever I went with my first book, Ancient Grains for Modern Meals, um, it was like, yeah, we love to cook more, but we don't know how to put this into our lives, right? Like people were really, um, you know, intimidated by some of the time constraints, though I think there's also a lot of, you know, we have, I just have to explain it better, how to do it and how you can do it when you're super busy, because that was really, I've worked as a journalist all my life and uh, before becoming a food writer and cookbook author. And um, I was always, whole grains are always on my table, right? Even when I worked 12-hour days at an accord, I was, you know, 12, whatever. I mean, I was a very busy journalist and um, that was never an issue. And so this book, Simply Ancient Grains, I wrote to help people to see, wow, I can do this. And, you know, this is easy. I have all the tricks here laid out for you. You couldn't make it any easier. The hardest part is accessing the products. That is actually really an issue. And we just need to ask, if, uh, you know, we have to ask, why don't you carry this? Or I would love to try this because that is still uh, one issue. And, you know, obviously online you can get anything now, but it would be really great if they would be more easily available. I agree with you. Well, I can't wait to speak about the book further uh, in just a moment. But first, let's talk about your very interesting background, Greece and Germany. How did, how was, what was your childhood like? What was my childhood? Well, I, my childhood and food was quite <laughs> funny, I guess, because we would have, you know, my dad was German, my mom is Greek. So most of my recipes are actually inspired by her cooking and by the Mediterranean. I use a lot of olive oil, even like in baking, you know, so, and lots of vegetables and fruits, which, you know, at the time when my first book came out, it was like, oh my God, so much. Maybe Americans won't like that. But now, of course, we know <laughs> everything has changed. Then I feel like these uh, strange roots, in my case, certainly are at the heart of all my cooking, mm -hmm. right? Because, 
you are exposed to so many, so so very different cultures um, between Germany and Greece that they can't be more different. But that inspired realizing that they can actually be matched. You know, obviously I had my terrible fusion <laughs> experiments too over a course of <laughs> lifetime of cooking. I'm super embarrassed. But most of the time, you know, when you kind of put ingredients together and try to think creatively, it's, it's different. It should be really vibrant. Thank you. Well, you can't get to this without making some mistakes along the oh. way. My all my cooking is based on mistakes. I mean, I make so many mistakes, and it's I always say it's um, failures at the heart of it. And I actually want to encourage people. Also, I feel like if something fails in the dinner time rush, um, and by fail, I mean you're a super harsh, probably your own harshest critic. Mm-hmm. You will, you know, say, "Oh my god, I can't put that on Instagram or something." <laughs> but too but real, the, Maria. But the but the reality is, I feel like. Every one of my failures will still beat any fast food I pick up Mm. or anything that has been lying around in the supermarket, you know, all day in either heat box or whatever and, you know, drying out. So even if it's not perfect the first time around, just do it again and it'll be fine. You know, I feel like let's be more forgiving to ourselves also. You know, it all looks good on Instagram, but, Mm. you know, we have to be kinder to ourselves. I love it. And um, so at home, we basically, we might actually really have, you know, like a Greek salad with feta and a giant slice of German whole grain bread, right? Like this is just how we ate. It was both, you know, in both cultures actually, and that is what is, you know, at the heart of my work is having been raised, both of these cultures, Germany and Greece, have long centuries old uh, grain traditions. And so... Any anyone um, you know that has traveled to Germany will have seen you know their absolutely fabulous whole grain loaves that are often you know wood fired beautiful. beautiful often sourdough which we now have you know a new appreciation also in the U.S. for. And the loaves are as big as bike tires. I mean, my dad would come home and he would slice one slice and we could all eat it, right? And they're heavy. And then on the, yeah, heavy, but, you know, in a, in a marvelous way. We say often heavy, but whole grain breads can actually be also have a soft crumb, you know, so there's a much wider range actually than in our imagination, mm. right? We kind of say heavy and off it is. Sure, right? sure. And so it's really, there is a wide range. Germany has a bread culture. I think we have um, 300 different types of bread in Germany and mm. three, I think 3,200 bread specialties. <laughs> so it's like, it's an unbelievable bread loving. We eat more bread than anyone on the planet. <laughs> I think wow. 60 kilograms per year per person. Oh you know? my so goodness. It's, it's a true, I mean, we have terminology such as Abendbrot and Brotzeit, which means Abendbrot means evening bread. So that's what you would have. You would just have some really good bread, nourishing. It could also be a rye bread, right, which we love also in the U.S. now much more. And so, and then, of course, the Greek um, diet, you know, long centuries, wheat berries, barley mm. traditionally. We have bulgur, of course, mm. which is a beautiful, um, one of my favorites, actually. Um, and that you can still, I think, get quite well in the U.S., uh, bulgur, which is, um, you know, a cracked, a, a parboiled cracked wheat that's been sorted by size. And you can, in the summer, what I do is I just throw some boiling water over the bulgur and I walk off. So you don't need to do anything. And then your grain is ready. You drain it if there's some water. I never, I just eyeball it, right? And you'll get a feeling for that. 
And then basically you have a base for a salad. You have a base for your next breakfast the next day. It's that easy. It's called ancient fast food for a reason, right? I mean, this is the stuff, you know, what I tried with this book, you know, to really introduce people to some of my favorite also quick cooking grains, you know, because that's something people think, yeah, wheat, berries, rye, berries, belt, kamut. Yes, they do take time to cook. But there's so many others that are ready in 15 minutes. And if you want, I can touch base on that. Yes, I love it. And I love the the bulgur. It's kind of a secret. It's moving beyond couscous, but just as easy. Exactly. And it has lots of fiber and it's very nutty and it's very satisfying to eat. You know, so I will have a simple bowl of bulgur with honey and tahini, which is hugely trending right now in America. It's also in the book, right? It's a breakfast. It's ready in 10 minutes. You make a big pot on... Sunday, and then you eat it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, if you want. You just stick a bowl in the microwave, right? This is what I tried to show, right? That basically you don't need to make breakfast every morning. Mm. You can reheat some grains, incredibly, not just versatile, and um, but also um, forgiving. You know, you don't need to totally like constantly, oh my God, did I cook this to perfection? I mean, it's just, you know, it's a grain. <laughs> it lasted. <laughs> through the millennia so it'll be fine you know don't worry about it too yeah. much you know i'm always trying to take the fear out of people i know, love it so. the ancient fast food ancient meal planning it was all there before exactly <laughs> before. and i mean people always had these on their tables you know and that's why i like bulgur for example like around the mediterranean and you know we know it of course from tabula you know we put lots of herbs inside and tomatoes you can do a tons of things with bulgur and it's ready in if you want to simmer it mm. 10 minutes i mean it can't be better, right? Like, I mean, you, you're done. You know, you have a beautiful grain and you can do anything with it. You know? That's great. Yes, I can't wait to get those weeknight shortcuts from you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you speak so highly of your mother throughout the book. I love it. At the same time, you weren't one to kind of learn cooking at her apron strings in that very romantic way. If anything, she that was the last place she wanted to be. Is that correct? That is correct, indeed. Yes, my mom was yeah, wanted to work. <laughs> and she studied, finished her degree. And then, you know, initially she was, you know, stuck with two kids at home. But I have to say... She does love to cook. She just wanted to also work, right? And in her generation, that was more difficult for women, you know, than we have today. So, you know, she ended up, you know, being a school teacher eventually and now is an accomplished poet um, after retirement. I mean, she has also many talents. But basically um, that, you know, she loves, I think what, what inspired my own food uh, more than anything is, that she loves to eat well. Mm. And so my passion also when we talk about grains is, can we please make them tasty first and foremost, right? We can talk about healthy all day long, Mm. and there's a thousand things I can tell you about healthy whole grains. But when it comes down to it, all of us last, I mean, in my case, certainly when I was a young woman and always dieting, you know, my diet lasted about 10 minutes until I saw the next chocolate truffle <laughs> on a colleague's desk and that was it. So I realized very early on in my 20s, dieting doesn't work for me. I have to find another way to eat. And that way was really including whole grains in my diet because mm. they basically keep you full. 
exactly. and they feed you fat. Like, you know, you get nourished well and it lasts, right? So, and that was for me the key because suddenly I was eating everything I wanted to eat. I never dieted again, but I was never hungry because that is the huge issue. You know, if you're on a diet, I mean, you're generally starved <laughs> in mm -hmm. one way or another, right? And that was also... Um, when I, to come back to this, you know, both of my books are really deeply inspired by we have to make whole grains absolutely mind-bogglingly delicious so that you will say, oh, my God, what was I missing all my life, right? Rather than you better eat your healthy whole grains because good luck with that. I mean, it's not going to go anywhere. Right? And that's a very punishing message, especially in America. I found when I moved here, um, wherever I went, I always tell the story. I, I forgive me for <laughs> for, for oh, reaching please. out of it, but basically, when I went to a party, people would say, "So, so you know, what do you cook, or you know, how do you?" And I said, "I use a lot of whole grains. I love whole grains." And then they would generally get like this very pitiful look, <laughs> <laughs> and then they would pause, not knowing what to say, and then they would say, "Oh." you must eat very healthy, um, to which I never knew what to say because that was never on my mind, right? It was, it was all about good food. And, and good taste. Good taste. And, you know, the Greek diet obviously is absolutely marvelous, just like the Italian mm. diet. I mean, all these Mediterranean, it's all about pleasure and good eating and slowing down and taking time to eat, you know, and just preparing food. And so that's how I was raised, you know, so despite that, my mom loves to cook. Mm. <laughs> it loves good food. I love that you touch upon that as well, because I think also in one of your chapters, you speak about the, um, you give yourself grace to just enjoy a single flavor or aroma, and you don't have to cook anything to death to coax out the caramelization and the sugars. And actually, like you shouldn't, and you, you should try to eat it as it's meant to be eaten, as plain as possible. I love that you say that because that is also something I have observed and I love it and I'm guilty as much as anyone of, you know, browning things for flavor. It's delicious. You know, it's delicious. Exactly. But sometimes it's basically, sometimes I feel like we're forgetting, you know, just the taste of a good ingredient and what that can bring to the table and to learn, for example, also how to shop. You know, I learned in Greece, you pick up a tomato you don't buy the tomato the way it looks. You actually smell the tomato, right? If the smells really like a tomato, your tomato is good, right? And it's all these things that, you know, I also only learned by, you know, becoming a better cook over time. Trusting yourself. But it's, yeah, but it's worth, exactly, it's worth exploring that. And when you have good ingredients, food can be very simple. And each time I go back to Greece, uh, every summer, I'm like, my God, I forgot how good that tastes. And we usually have the most simplest meals, right? But we just buy something at the farmer's market, olive oil, salt, pepper, lemon juice, or vinegar. And, you know, and, and you have, or you steam it lightly and you have a light salad. And if you can put some bulgur or feta or yogurt, you're done. I mean, it's, you know, good food doesn't need to be hours in the kitchen and it doesn't have to be. We all love to cook. Sometimes I spend three hours in my kitchen, but most neat weeknights, Thank you. <laughs> That's a luxury that just it can't is, be realized. And for families especially, you know. So that was actually also one of the reasons I wanted to help people, you know, with kids. And, and because you, we are all constantly struggling yes. with time, right? That reminds me of um, 
one of Gabrielle Hamilton's favorite ways to prepare vegetables, and she's obviously a big proponent of Italian-style cooking, is simply boiling them. And it seems so old-fashioned, but just get nice olive oil, some salt, and then celebrate these boiled zucchini or whatever, it, greens, and that's it. And it's so easy. I totally agree with you. I have this on the one pure aroma. I have an essay here um, where I talk about my mother's Brussels sprouts, which is a, yes. a recipe. Also, like Brussels sprout is such a hate, love-hate ingredient in America, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Right? Yeah. It's every season we have like, how to prepare Brussels so that everyone around. And I'm like, wait a minute, right? Like, and we eat them like so simple, right? And like I write, I think I can dance on the table when I eat my mother's Brussels sprouts because she just steams them to perfection, you know, really just with a slight bite, olive oil, lemon juice, salt, pepper, and it's so good. Your Brussels sprouts have to be fresh. Exactly. You know, that's the thing, right? If they're all shriveled or all the something. There's a time and a place for roasted Brussels sprouts with bacon, fish sauce, Maple syrup, and I'm guilty as well. I love it. I think it's delicious. I but agree. try them a little more pared down, and you can find that they're also delicious that way too. I agree. I totally agree. Exactly. <laughs> we have to have everything. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, you also write so lovingly about your husband, Elnor, in this book. Can you, would you be willing to chat a little bit about him if he, if he would be comfortable? <laughs> Um, you know, what I what I would love to tell you is about his roots, you know, because his family is actually, you know, his, his uh, grandparents migrated from Western India, from the state of Gujarat to East Africa. Wow. Where he was born. They were traders. And, um, and actually, uh, um, his grandfather also um, worked on a spice farm. So in Tanzania, where my husband was born. And what is what I love about his roots, and I've learned from his mother, um, is East African Indian cooking because it's oh, wow. a whole different universe. It's basically again, you know, migration. I think yeah. makes the best food. So you take basically, um, you know, Indian uh, spices, and I have actually a story in the book about their family. She taught me um, some biscotti, which um, I make almost every holiday season. They are made with peanuts and cardamom. Oh, wow. And she taught me her version. And then I, you know, spent another seven iterations in making them the best uh, whole wheat peanuts you can ever eat, peanut uh, biscotti with cardamom. They're called jugo cakes. Wow, and they're amazing. amazing. They're, they're in this book. So, you know, so I want to show also, you know, that while in spring, you know, we always want to eat better after indulging so much in the holidays. My personal, um, you know, my personal passion is really, you can also eat amazing during the holidays, can have amazing, you know, dishes on your table that have, you know, wild rice at the center or other beautiful grain salads that are so stunning and so um, luscious, like, uh, you know, a kamut salad with oranges, leeks and blue cheese or you can have um, quinoa salad with roasted red beets, blood oranges, and pomegranate. I mean, you put this out and no one will say oh, it's healthy or something. It just looks spectacular, the colors. And, you know, so I try or I have a paella, which I hope Jose Andres will forgive me that I call it a paella. It's a wild rice paella with sweet potatoes, tart cherries, and gorgonzola, which mm. is absolutely divine. Looks splendid. It's in the book. It's also in the front of the book. And... Um, um, it's, it's, you know, it's like when you put this out, 
you know, you shouldn't say this is a healthy whole grain salad. You should just put it out there. And exactly. people are like, oh my God, you know. And all my books, I have to tell um, a secret. All the recipes in both of my books have been tested by lots of children. Oh, <laughs> all the that. kids of our friends always eat with us and I invite them. And unless they give it a nine out of 10, the recipe is tanked. It's not in the book. So I'm a very, I take their, because kids are brutally honest, which I love. You know, they I will not too. say, adults always say, oh, yeah, this tastes good. And I'm like, no, you don't like that. <laughs> you know, I can see it on your nose step. With kids, they will be just, you know. So, and that is for me the guideline, right? I want to make sure. And kids eat everything. Whole grain pizza, sourdough, they eat everything, right? But I never say healthy. I just say, try I this. just present it as a try beautiful, this. vibrant, inviting dish. How do you develop a recipe? You have so many influences and inspiration about how do you kind of narrow it down? Do you start with a flavor or do you start with something maybe that you've had already and you want to make a whole grains version or perhaps all of the above? Yeah, that's, a, that's such a good question. And I think I have like about 1,000 answers. So let's pick one <laughs> <Okay>. or two. Because <laughs> it's really, it's the creative process is almost like, um, for me, certainly incredibly, um, you know, it can take weeks for me for, to be happy with a recipe. I might sleep over it. I might think over it day in, day out, especially because I want to create something that's really different. My my passion is really, we've had enough of the over same, you know, like variation of something. I'm always like, can we make this different? And I can't think of anything. And then sometimes one of my favorite things is, but that is very time consuming. I'm sitting between 100 of cutouts from all over the world. I read like Italian magazine, French magazine. I read, you know, Portuguese, even though I don't understand the word, I can see, understand see the, the, pictures. The, the pictures, but also I can see the, I can understand the translate, like good enough, basically. And Spanish or whatever, I read everything. Greek, of course, naturally German, of course, English, you know, I, when I go, whenever I see English magazines. So my inspiration is really to sit there and let it all come at me. And sometimes I take, you know, whatever, something from a duck breast recipe and it'll end up in a cornbread. I mean, I'm, I'm joking right now, yeah. but it's really like, you're like, why don't we put that? And in fact, two days ago, I made a, not two days, two weeks ago during Thanksgiving week, I made a cornbread with fresh cranberries, which my colleagues were all like, oh my God. And I'm like, yeah, I have no idea why I did that, right? Nor do I know why I have never thought about this before. Mm -hmm. But it was so good. I mean, it was devoured by everyone. And we were like, oh, why have we never done this? Yeah. You know? like, so, so it's these kind of things. And the other, the second part, it's one is, you know, me playing in my office on the floor, playing. surrounded by... Are you actually yeah. on the floor? I am on the floor on a thick flocati carpet. I have a thick, beautiful carpet on my floor. And... Um, and like I said, with cutouts, which drive me normally crazy because they can't be organized, but they do inspire my work. That's why I still do this. And the other thing is scarcity. Some of my very best recipes were born out of complete empty kitchen. So uh, we were stuck once in the Bay Area. Uh, there was a snowstorm on the East Coast. We were stuck, I think, like days. It was mm. unbelievably crazy. Um, we bought a new dining table. We were so bored. We didn't know what to do with ourselves, you know, so my husband and I. And um, we come home and there were green olives. There was obviously whole wheat pasta. And there were some parsnips that had survived. Parsnips being root vegetables, sure. you know. And there's a pasta in this book. I think it's one of my absolute favorite pastas that was born that night. It went still through tweaking and improving and whatnot, 
but it's absolutely crazy good, you know. So I love so, it. So yeah, so it's these scarcity is also obviously I think for a lot of cooks um, inspiration because you really have to create something new, right? And you have nothing, and you want to eat well. So. Absolutely. Oh, I want to talk more about pantry pastas in just a bit. We're going to take a quick break and come back with Maria Speck in just a moment. Welcome back to Chowhound's Table Talk. I'm here with Maria Speck. We're talking about delicious pantry pastas. Obviously, I love a pasta. Uh, who doesn't love pasta? And uh, the queen of pantry pasta, cacio e pepe. Maybe it's like a simple arrabbiata if you have some sauce, if you're lucky enough. But you you have a cacio e pepe in this book and some other wonderful, easy-to-execute pastas. What are some favorites? Exactly. And I actually, that is such a great thing that you bring this up because, you know, I feel like um, we we consider pasta, you know, especially when we think in spring and of dieting as a no-no, right? Because mm. it's carbs. And I always say, make it a whole grain pasta and enjoy it and make it a really good dish. And either you can make, I have one here with a tahini yogurt sauce, which is super Yum. simple to bring together. I mean, literally, while the pasta is boiling, that sauce is, you know, assembled in two minutes and, and stirred together. Or I use um, the, the pasta that I just mentioned that was born out of scarcity with lemony parsnips and, all, parsnips and olives and thyme and shallots. And it's just shredded parsnips. And when you cook parsnips, they have this beautiful floral aroma that mm. really develops as you saute them, right? So here you want to give them a little bit with the shallots together. Very simple dish. There's nothing complicated. And so you have your vegetables in your pasta, but they're delicious. You won't even, you know, like, so you, again, I wouldn't say, oh, this is a very good vegetable pasta. I would just say, try this. It's, just it's delicious. incredible because of the aroma and you put your, you know, I cook with my nose I rarely taste dishes. Interesting. I have a very funny way, and I only once came across another person talking about it, um, that, that basically I've, I smell everything except salting. So everything else I can, I just uh, smell, and how I add flavors, it's, it's crazy. I have a crazy nose. I can smell through the wall what the neighbor is cooking. Oh, my gosh. Your nose knows. Oh, my nose. That's, that's probably not good in the summertime in New York City. No. <laughs> Neither when we were actually traveling and working in India, my husband and I, oh my God, did I suffer. But also the food rewards were very high. So no complaints. Oh, <laughs> it was wow. always balanced by that. But yeah, I want to, I'm a proponent of weeknight pasta. Again, make it a whole grain. You know, you don't need to go fancy with spelled or whatever. I use these here for inspiration or kamut, you know, they exist, all of them. But even just a very simple, you know, whole wheat pasta. And one of my actually personal favorites in the winter months, if I have, you know, of leftover or you can, of course, also get, you know, pesto when you combine it with orange mm. and a hint of honey. I mean, it's just crazy good. Again, I have no idea if you would ask me, how did I? Have, oh, yes, actually, I do describe it here in the book, how I got to that. I thought I was like some crazy genius and I was working on something around pesto and it never worked out. And suddenly I had this pasta pesto with orange and walnut and a hint of honey. And that was delicious. But so the, the thing was failure was behind it, a lot of it. And I was not the genius that I thought that I was. So that's why we have a really good pasta dish in the book. Okay, you can still take the credit 
And what I love about your pasta recipes is that they all sound delicious at room temperature, perhaps even cold, so you can take it into the summer, warmer months as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Even like, you know, any, I have even, I did... um, a um, mac and cheese with Greek yogurt, which lightens it up a bit, and with leeks, which turn beautifully sweet. I've learned this one from my mom. Mm, um, and uh, yeah, very. it's very much one of her classics. And um, that too, I mean, you can always have it in the office the next day. All my all my work is inspired. Take it into the office the next day because that's what we all have to That's do. the real test. See how quickly it flies mm. off of Uh, off the plate. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Uh, I love that you talk about parsnips. It really has its own character, and you can certainly find it in the deep, dark winter months. They're plentiful and inexpensive, so... Exactly. I mean, good cooking doesn't have to be expensive, and that's actually one great thing also about grains, right? Like, I mean, you can... Um, they're, if they're part of your diet, I mean, you really also can save a lot of money. And we, we can maybe talk a little bit about, you know, the whole discussion right now that comes up around, you know, more sustainable eating. Yes. And I would love for people to put some whole grains on their plate as they think about that and cut down, obviously, on their animal protein, especially, of course, beef. We all know that beef and lamb are very high up there. But I, I personally, you know, I'm, I'm not a vegetarian. I love, um, you know, all good food. That's my downfall, I guess. But, but, um, but I do believe, you know, I'm inspired, you know, by someone like Dan Barber and his third plate where he says it should be a, you know, meat, fish, like all of these animals should be accents on our plate. And my own cooking is really inspired by the peasant diet mm-hmm. without, you know, romanticizing it because people were super poor and we're not that, sure. you know, but really having, you know, a grain on your plate wherever you travel traditionally. And it used to always be a whole grain, right? Like, I mean, the whole, the white rice, all of this is really um, some very recent from the past 170 years or something with industrialization, right? So as we talk about sustainability, you know, um, grains are very low on the food chain. I mean, it takes eight pounds of grains to get one pound of beef. And mm. the 16-ounce steak, I mean, That's we eat that, you know. Like nothing. Like, exactly. But eight pounds of grains will get you through the winter, you know. Mm. So so make grains, especially whole grains, part on your plate, at least a quarter, some vegetables, and then have a smaller piece of meat or fish, you know, as you enjoy it, or tofu. I mean, I love tofu, mm. always have. I don't know why, but I always have. I know, I saw your interesting oh, tofu recipe yes, in there. Mediterranean tofu. The Mediterranean, <laughs> I'm so um, intrigued. It's crazy. I like want to try said, it. It's, it's I, Even my mom ate it, which was really funny. My mom doesn't like tofu, obviously. You know, she's like, why would I try this? I said, mom, try this. And when she, and then I put it in the book. I thought, okay, I can put this one. It's crazy. <laughs> so for tofu haters out there, try, just try this. Mediterranean yeah. style tofu for yeah. starters. Yeah. It might, you yeah. know, shake things up and how you view tofu. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's uh, for me. That was really also for myself. It was it was wonderful to see when my mom loved it, mm. <laughs> as we all don't be. <laughs> well, it's so interesting you mentioned. As you know, I'm Korean and I grew up eating mixed rice always, and I actually hated it because I loved white rice. It was so easy to eat, so sweet. Um, and as I've come to learn also, it was, you, you know, in in earlier years reserved for like royal banquets. You know, it's very expensive. And it was the whole grains that were, you know, just enjoyed normally. 
Well, the thing is, in our history, understandably, you know, throughout history, people that were rich were able to process their grains, mm -hmm. right? So that's why everything we have today is white, right? Because obviously it has also to do with um, that they last much longer. And so industrialization brought us, you know, stable, how do you say? Self-stable, self you know, grains. But what we didn't realize is that we lost all the nutrients in the process, mm. right? So, so, but throughout history, you know, the only people that could afford a white flour mm. or, you mm. know, pound exactly. it enough and sift it enough were the rich people. So, so it's understandable that that's our history, but, you know, now we know better, right? So I feel like we can <laughs> put them back, yeah. right? That's what inspired, you know, ancient grains for modern meals. Let's put them back. Exactly. I love it. And I've, I, I've always loved eating the the barley and like the millet. Of course, I didn't know what millet was. I just ate it and because it was so tasty, but always mixed in a little soaking beforehand. But I mean, that's kind of how I was raised without realizing. And also meat as an accent to the vegetables. Traditional diet. Exactly. I have a beautiful, one of my favorite millet dishes all my life I've eaten. This one, a millet is actually, a, was the, the really a staple grain in Germany and in Central Europe before, you know, corn and potatoes arrived from mm. the new world. And so, in fact, the German term, the Germanic term for, for millet is, uh, is, uh, means nourishment, right? Oh. Like, so has the roots in the term, in, in nourishment. And, um, and a millet, I have a saffron millet with almonds, toasted almonds and cardamom in this book, oh, right? I mean, it's ready in 10 that. minutes, a little bit of butter and... I mean, millet is also, you know, when people say grains are too chewy and not, I'm like, no, 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 wait, there's, you know, chewy whole grains, you know, wheat, rye, barley, you know, those are chewy, kamut, right? But there's so many comforting grains in that I, you know, polenta, of course, being one of them, you know, cornmeal, which... Then we have millet, you know, we have obviously now quinoa is very trendy, but we also have frika, you know, I mentioned bulgur, we have farro, you know, mm. these are comforting uh, grains, you know, you don't need to always chew through your, you know, sometimes we feel like chewing, you know, we like a chewy stick, but sometimes we just want a bowl of comforting grains and millet is certainly ranks very high for me, especially in the winter months when it's still chilly. Absolutely. I love this class of kind of quicker ancient grains that people should really educate themselves on through your book or otherwise. I agree. Quick cooking grains is is a part of my weeknight staple. Exactly. Millet is one of them. You know, quinoa, we all know better now. But like bulgur that I mentioned earlier, um, you know, there's also more quick cooking grains that are coming on the market now, or you can find them even, I believe, in the freezer section. Sometimes mm. someone mentioned that to me, and I'm all for it, you know, because whatever makes people life easier, if they're to bring whole grains on your plate, do it, you know. So, but exactly, I think those are those are wonderful options. Frike is also a great one, which is a toasted green wheat Green durum wheat, traditionally, in Germany we have it, we call it grünkern, um, which means green kernel, mm -hmm. um, is made from spelt traditionally. It's beautiful because it has that toasty aroma. So talking of, you know, simplicity, you just toss that into a soup and you get this yeah. whole layer of toastiness ready in 15, 20 minutes, you mm -hmm. know, so it simmers in your soup while you, if, if you buy a cracked frike, beautiful and you have a whole new dimension. That's amazing. How, what are some other easy ways to incorporate whole grains into the way you cook anyway? Like that example. I love that question. So um, my favorite way is with the slower cooking grains, I make a big pot ahead on the weekend. 
you know, you can also do that during the week, but most of us don't have time. Sure. So what you do is I soak them just like beans. You know, it's a very good idea to soak your whole grains, like whole wheat, whole barley, you know, hard barley, uh, hard barley um, whole rice, spelt, kamut, because they're easier to digest and they cook a bit faster, right? And um, so I soak them overnight and I simmer them while, you know, I go about my day because I am a proponent of well-cooked grains. Please do not undercook your grains. I mean, your digestive system will thank you. That's one. Mm -hmm. But the other is simply also, if they're more pleasing to eat, across the Mediterranean, our wheat berries, they split open. Mm. We don't chew through them like crazy. We love the pleasure of eating good wheat berries, you know. And when I ate actually at um, Tate in which is one of our most successful coffee houses in the in the Boston area. Yes. She's absolutely Tzurit Or from Israel. She's absolutely amazing. And she has brought in her wheat berry salad. Her wheat berries were also split. And I'm like, thank you, Tzurit. <laughs> You're cooking wheat berries right. The way right? they are meant to because, be Because, you know, it's really, they should be enjoyable. We shouldn't have to sit there. And um, often what I also encounter, we have to rewarm grains. You know, grains, when they chill, this is just simply the starches, mm -hmm. they um, go, become hard. Thief. So they exactly, and that's called retrogradation. There's a whole, uh, you know, science behind it. But I'm basically just stick them in the microwave for 20 seconds, 30, whatever amount you have. And then they're warm and they're chewing and they're pleasing. You know, you can also do this on the stove. I'm not um, saying, but that's the fastest and easiest way. And so one way for me, you asked, um, that's a great way because whole cooked grains, they will last in the fridge for seven days. No problem. So How convenient. Now, Exactly. <laughs> and now life happens. You go three times out this week. What do you do? Well, what do I do? I just stick them in the freezer and not the whole pot, but in small servings. So what I think, you know, cup, cooked one cup, two cup, whatever your family size is. And then when you need it, you pull it out and you can make, put it in your breakfast, put it in a soup make a salad. So you basically have your staple at the at the ready, right? So mm -hmm. that's my favorite way is basically whenever I cook on the weekend, just simmer some grains at the side. And the other is use quick cooking grains, the ones that we mentioned earlier, right? Because then you are looking at, uh, you know, just use some during the weeknight. That's what I do. I have my grains, um, on, in jars so I can see what I have. Most of them in my kitchen, you know, only the very large amounts I store in the basement. But I have them just on a shelf and I look at them and then I know what's for dinner because it's the best way, you know, don't hide them in your cupboard, don't mm. keep them in bags, you know, put them in nice jars, look at them, enjoy the beauty of them. <laughs> Celebrate them. Exactly. Because if you see them, you'll remember them. Exactly. I agree with you. That's how I remember them. You know, I'm just like everyone else. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we're going to take a quick break and come back and speak more about Simply Ancient Grains with Maria Speck. Welcome back to Chowhound's Table Talk. I'm here with Maria Speck, author of Simply Ancient Grains. We're talking about great ways to incorporate quick cooking uh, grains or planning ahead on a weekend and just doing a big batch, freezing small portions. Um, what are some ways we can just start the day off easily with some whole grains that are different from your standard oatmeal or steel cut oats? Beautiful. I personally would love to know. Yeah, I'm so glad you're asking because that was also um, the reason why I wrote the second book was to really show um, the trick that I use. And it was actually inspired by um, by oats 
Because, you know, we you might have also seen that people just pouring boiling water over oats, right? So And then have them in the morning or milk or whatever. And at some point I thought, maybe that works with all grains, right? And so I started testing extensively. And it didn't work for all grains, mm -hmm. but it worked for some exceptionally well. And that was behind, you know, the shortcut polenta that has made the rounds all over. Um, it's basically a method I use often now and which is so easy. At night you pour some boiling water over a grain, like a cornmeal for a polenta. And mm -hmm. in Italy, the breakfast is, when you use it as a breakfast, the cornmeal, it's called polentina, which is beautiful. It's so beautiful. And But I, it works also really well with a black rice, mm. which I love black rice because it turns this beautiful purple, stunning color. And obviously that's why it was fed to the empress of China is mm -hmm. <laughs> a reason for that. Because when you put this on the table, everyone will be, oh my God, what's that? And I pair it in this for a breakfast dish. I pair it with blueberries. And then of course, you know, pistachios with that natural green color. Stunning. And basically what you do is, so you pour your boiling water over, you can put spices in if you want, because that will already flavor the grains and like a cinnamon or a cardamom pot or something. And the next morning, you simmer it briefly for five to seven minutes. And, you know, either adding a bit of milk or whatever, follow the recipe, right? And then you have this beautiful, you know, pot of grains, which then not only you can eat on that first day, but then you can reheat. And I give you all the instructions, you know, how to best reheat it. So for the next couple of days, because, you know, that is our lives. Our lives are too busy. We don't have time. So I would make that on a Sunday and have it Monday, Tuesday, or something. Maybe you can make one on Wednesday that'll carry you through the rest of the week, right? Another one that I love in that quick cooking um, technique, where I use that quick cooking technique, I love it with steel carrots, actually, mm -hmm. which... I personally very much like to eat, but when I cook them normally for 40, 30 to 40 minutes, the classic ways, my stove is a giant mess. I'm unable to not over, um, how do you say, I'm unable to avoid, not overboard, like lead them that they flood my stove. I'm just not an attentive enough um, perfectionist. They require attention. Exactly. And I, the stirring and all of this, and I'm like, okay, I don't have time for this, but I love steel carrots. So what I did in my first book and also in this one, I basically um, use that same method, you know, boiling water at night and here, in fact, I, I call it porridge in pink with raspberries and Greek yogurt. Mm. So I also added a lot of fresh raspberries or you can be lazy. I have them in the freezer. You know, I use a I lot of frozen, frozen berries. berries because, you know, again, who has, you know, all of this at hand at all times. And it works beautifully. It's delicious. It looks glorious. You know, a pink porridge. Imagine that. Oh. Right. And you have your fruit right in there and you can reheat it. It's super easy. Amazing. Can you teach our listeners about your two-step method? Yeah, that is basically so. the idea behind it was really how can we speed up grain cooking, right? And so it will have many components. One is basically with the grains here, like I do here, I pour boiling water at night, which basically essentially parboils them. But it can also be something, um, you know, you use with um, with the overnight uh, waffles. I have some waffles mm. in here with teff flour. Teff has this beautiful molasses um, scent to it, naturally sweet. So you can um, you use less um, sugar as a result. And these teff waffles, I make, I make them with um, grilled pineapple 
and um, coriander, which was a mistake mm. and turned out to be the best mistake I ever made because I grabbed the wrong spice in the pantry oh, and I it turned it. out to be the best flavor pairing ever. So, and these teff waffles too, you start them at night and they rise, you know, either in the fridge or on your counter and then in the morning you finish them off, you know. So I do a lot of this in my own uh, life, you know, just like the overnight bread we all love so much, you know, uh, Jim Leahy popularized that, yeah. but it goes back way longer, of you know, course. we've had those also in Germany, we've made those because really, I mean, that's, people have always been busy. We think we're the first busy people. But, you know, when you travel or, you know, like when we lived in India, I mean, people work so long hours and they work, but they still cook. So I thought, how do they do it? So how did a grandmother, my mother, I mean, they were boiling they were our busy. laundry on the stove, mm. you know, like for children, the diapers and stuff. People worked like dogs and they didn't have laundry machines or dishwashers or anything. And they had right? many, many children. Uh, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it's not something we invented, but, you know, we have lost our ability to see how we can be efficient cooks. And that's what mm -hmm. I try. You know, how can we, with little work, make a lot of food? <laughs> I love it. I love that your cooking style is very rooted in practical and flavorful. It's basically, you just want to eat something delicious with minimal effort. And I think so many people can relate to that. I am actually very, like in cooking, I, I, you've said it very well. I can't say it better. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now you are an expert on ancient and whole grains, but you are not a nutritionist. Uh, I'm sure people come to you with all sorts of questions that are more, uh, that perhaps they should consult a doctor or nutritionist for. But I am curious to know your thoughts on the landscape in American food ways and food systems and the what are the big differences between how you are raised and how Americans are eating today and granted it's definitely changed and improved over the years yeah this is a this is a great question I mean we you know I I um, try very hard in my, when I give public talks, I always say, I want you all to leave and never say healthy whole grains in one sentence again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the goal, right? But obviously it's good to help people understand certain things, right? And what we've done during industrialization to make shelf-stable grains, we have removed their most nutritious and valuable parts. And that's the bran, which has, you know, obviously a lot of fiber. And we've also removed the germ, which has these good natural oils. And we've removed a lot of the micronutrients, which are so much, only now we're starting to better understand, you know, how important they are. Micronutrients like iron, magnesium, B vitamins, vitamin E, antioxidants. You know, obviously I mentioned fiber, all of that is very important because fiber, for example, keeps you full longer. And, you know, in America, we always think we don't have enough protein in our diet. And that is actually completely misguided. I can't call it differently. It's really what we really should be have more in our diet is fiber. And there's many different types of fiber. But the interesting part for me is over the past 10 years, as I looked at this, you know, a lot of people have cut out the best, you know, the food that's actually best, or very good for them, which are whole grains. Mm. They have, you know, gone gluten-free, grain-free, you know, and low obviously carb. low carb and whatnot. And there's two interesting things that I want to mention. One is, as we um, 
The grains that we've cut out, especially like whole wheat, barley, and rye, are actually called prebiotic stars. They feed <laughs> your gut microbiome, right? And it's not enough to feed it once a month or something. You mm. really, they need constant feeding. And so as you shift and incorporate more whole grains, it's also really important to give them a little bit of time to adjust to your mm. new diet, right? So in case you want to, in the new year, incorporate more whole grains in your diet, I always say go slow, right? Like because you might really, it takes a little bit of time and you should also be chewing. So we are really, I mean, that's something generally I think applies not just to grains, but anything you eat, broccoli or whatever. If you say, I can't handle it, I'm like, maybe you just need to chew a little better because, you know, we have forgotten all of this. We are such a rushed culture. We walk around on the street with our food in our hand, mm. our salad bowl, and we, and I always want to take people, sit down, just five minutes. You have those five minutes yeah, because it really doesn't take much time, mm. but your system will thank you. So when people tell me they have like all these digestive issues, my first thought is always, can you slow down? Can you just take a breath when you're eating? And it's just five or 10 minutes. And, you know, I'm as guilty as anyone. I'm not here. I don't want to mm. be here the apostle of <laughs> slow eating because I too devour my food sometimes, but I always know when I did that, right? So it's not great. <laughs> so, so, you know, I feel like some of the issues that we're having, um, and of course, our brain is also connected to our digestive system. You know, the stress we have, mm -hmm. all of these issues. I mean, there's so much we're learning now. And the microbiome has been, it's a very recent thing that scientists are studying it, you know. And so the one thing that I want to also mention is, so so I, I did say the grains that we've cut out are the ones that are really the prebiotic stars, right? And um, the other thing is a very interesting study I came across uh, last year, which is so fascinating. They put people really in, um, on two diets that were absolutely identical. So they gave them, you know, whole grain toast and white toast and white rice and brown rice. It basically just made them eat everything 100% whole grain. Otherwise, the amount of calories was identical. Mm. And they studied them very closely. So this was a really... Um, you know, I, I think a well-regarded um, study, an experiment, and it turned out that basically when you eat whole grains, your system takes more energy to digest them. And obviously some of them, you know, help you um, be more regular, right? Like, and so you're not digesting all of them, which means over the course of the year, you'll lose 5.5 pounds. That's the equivalent they calculated. And that for me was always like, I have to laugh now when I say this, right? But I always like, wow. yes, sample of one. Because yeah. <laughs> my husband and I, we both eat a lot of bread. We both eat a lot of pasta. We both eat, you know, it's basically there are staples, right? Whole grains are staples, but they're always whole grains. I mean, you know, I go to a restaurant, sure. And, you know, I'm not a person that will then snuff up something that's really good. But at our house, everything is whole grains. And that is, my husband is real thin. <laughs> and, you know, and it's, we're not thinking about, that's the beauty of whole grains, right? You're full, you're satiated when you eat them. You're not constantly hungry. And if you cook them well, you hopefully also eat very well. And if in this case, you might even lose some weight as a result. So certainly that shouldn't be a driving factor, but if you have flavor and you're satiated and you're not clamoring for a candy bar every couple of hours or a protein bar or granola bar or whatever bar, um, you can take time in between meals because you will be properly digesting and 
hungry for the next one. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's, you know, I used to never talk about these things, but then at some point I realized, you know, it's good to understand that, right? It just helps to put it in a bigger picture, you know, but ultimately food, if it's not delicious, we won't eat it. So for me, like I said, it's always year round on the table. Like my cookies are whole grains, my bread is whole grain and whatever I do and bake, you know, and traditionally also the beauty of um, another big trend that's happening now in America is we're starting, you know, to grow like grains are being again grown locally yeah. much more across the country and people are getting into fresh milling grains. Mm, absolutely. And that's a whole new, I've milled my flour all my life. Wow. I have, um, you know, obviously a sturdy workhorse of a beautiful tabletop wooden grain mill from Germany in my kitchen. Um, and I mean, once you get into this, you're like, oh my God, because the fresh milled grain is so naturally sweet and is so, you can cut down on the sugar. You're like, oh my God, the flavor. Mm. And if your grains are locally grown, you know, they are essentially also like when we talk about, you know, terroir in wine, mm. we can also talk about um, grains like wheat berries. I remember reading an article in the last century, people would describe wheat berries. They had the scent of honeysuckle and vanilla. And I'm like, what? You know, and I have wow. since had grains that taste out of Kernza recently, which is an experimental grain still in the, um, that tasted like roses. Wow. I had a farro that had hint of cinnamon. And, you know, I pay obviously much more attention now to these things, right? But I was like, how, you know, we've lost everything because we have monoculture wheat mm -hmm. and, you know, and in rye also in Germany, we have like the flavor of rye when you cook rye. I remember when I was a little kid, we had pumpernickel, which is traditionally just water and rye, very slowly cooked, I believe, um, 24 or even 48 hours in a, in a steam oven. So, and it transforms the rye, makes it super sweet. And I remember having this rye bread as a like, I don't know, five, eight year old, I have no idea. And I was chewing it and it was so sweet. It made me feel strange. I was like, I was like hiding it from people because I felt like it was like eating candy. Like it a was treat. My, my own secret, right? Like I remember this to this day that it was very special. Has uh, the quality of grains in Germany changed over the years as a result of this monoculture? Or are they still enough artisans and, you know, smaller producers who advocate for more natural and whole grain baking? Yeah, we have to, I think with grains, I'm a proponent of organic, um, understandably, because we're eating the the outer bran. Uh, so I'm always for organic. And I try very hard right now to support local farmers in Massachusetts. We have something beautiful. We have the first um, grain CSA, which is you oh. can once a year, you can go and pick up your grains. You can pick half a share and then you walk home with 60 pounds of you know beans and they're all locally grown in the Northeast oh, and they're incredible. supremely fresh. And so, you know, um, like I, I apologize that I didn't answer your question about German grains. Mm. You know, I think all over the world we've gone that way, but we're also realizing that we have to go mm. back um, to growing more locally. And that is happening actually in Italy, even in Greece, mm. even mm. obviously Everywhere. in Germany. It's happening because we're realizing what we're losing, right, with these not just monocultures, but what we're losing in flavor. And that's why I mentioned this wheat, right, because it blew my mind. I'm like, wheat that tastes like vanilla? 
what on earth are they talking about, right? But people had only wheat. I mean, that's what their staple grain was, perhaps, right? Mm. Or what they used in, in bread. And so this is something I think that's happening everywhere. I mean, we have even, I think, sometimes Indian newspapers will come into through my Google search, you know, around whole grains. I mean, because everywhere on the globe, I mean, we're having the same issues. You know, we have the same health issues and people remembering their traditional grains. So also in India, right? So I think that's going to be a big change that's going to be happening everywhere. Mm. So more, more whole and ancient grains in supermarkets more local producers and just more what else do you see on the landscape for Americans that's that's really great um, because also the other thing is what I would love to touch upon is we have to learn just like we learned it when we go to the farmers market you know how we've had you know fruit and vegetables cheese and meat and we realize that the local farmer has to put more resources into his meat production you know has to find a place um, to cut the the meat or things like that so it might be more expensive so the issue that I want to bring up also today is that when we find local grains or local flour which is happening across the US we have to be willing to support that with a you know paying the farmer that grows it and just like you know when coffee came up you know good coffee oh, I mean yes. 10 15 years ago People are saying, are you crazy? Why would I pay $5? Now we pay $5 for coffee. We don't even think about it, which we you know, no, should a, still yes. think about it, that it is, you know, more expensive. But we do it because we want to support a certain way of the coffee is grown, right? We might get uh, good coffee, organic coffee or shade-grown coffee, whatever we choose, right? Or how it's brewed, how it's prepared. The same applies to local grains. If it's local, it's supremely fresh. If you get local barley or anything, mm. I mean... It's it's a it's a different bar because you don't know when you get barley on the supermarket shelf. It doesn't have a harvest date. date, right? Rancho Rancho Gordo has done this with beans. I think we need it with grains also. We need to have you know harvest date, just like with olive oil that has Coffee. happened exactly. And so I think I see that grains were basically the last local frontier, I believe. And I see this is happening. A lot of young people are very interested in that. They're paying great attention. To the topic, which I think is really important, also to support the farmers. And, and really also when we have good bread, for example, with fresh milk flour, it has to be more expensive. There is no way because they're pampering your loaf, mm. they're doing sourdough, they need the space to, you know, for three days mm. to like watch the dough. Where are you going to do this? It doesn't come from a production line, right? So so we have to balance it, obviously. It should not be, you know, completely unaffordable. You know, so this is the balance we have to do, but that's why we have to get more of it on our tables. Mm. Then the prices usually come down. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Maria Speck in just a moment. Welcome back to Chow Hound's Table Talk. I'm here with Maria Speck. And I'd love to ask you a couple of more practical questions as it as they relate to uh, grain storage and usage. You had mentioned you're, you love to keep them presented beautifully in glass jars, but is that actually a good way to keep them from a practical perspective? That's a great question. So I do recommend um, that when you buy your grains, that you do transfer them from bags into jars. Why do I recommend that? For practical reasons. For one is what I mentioned earlier, that you really can see what you have on hand, which I think is very great because, you know, otherwise you forget it and you might not know. But in the rush to dinner, 
but I also like jars. And, you know, we I'm often asked that question, how do you know what happens when grains go bad and stuff? Well, the beauty of a jar is you can actually see it, right? And, you know, we all don't want that. And it also doesn't happen easily. So unless, you know, your source of the grains is, uh, there's a problem. But normally, I mean, in all those years in America, I can count it really like I would say three times I had a problem. And I mean, my grain storage is full. I have usually 50, 100. I mean, I have so much grain and flowers also always in my house. So it's not really a big concern. I wouldn't be concerned. But that's what helps me uh, to basically um, be sure because then, again, it's contained, right? Because people have, I've heard people say on Facebook, oh, in my pantry, what can I do and how can I clean? And I'm like, yeah, it's because if you had it in bags, you know, that's hard, yeah, right? So yourself. that's why you basically jars closed with tight-fitting lids. It is good to have your grains. If you have a lot of grains, I would put them in a cool, dark place. Mm. But my everyday grains, I have on the kitchen shelf. So I do want to distinguish that, right? And so large amount of grains, when I get them from the grain CSA, for example, I have it in a cool, dark place and I have them you know, stored away either, you know, I've, I've had, lived in apartments, I had them in the coolest corner of the apartment. You just have to find a place where you feel they're okay. But it's totally, it's also not something to be completely um, nervous about because the whole grain is normally fine, right? And then the consolation um, that I tell myself is always, if you do find critters, then you have good grains because they taste good, you know? So <laughs> oh, that's they're, they're a first. Organic. Yeah. Well, you know, I just tell myself that, right? Like, because obviously I'm sad when I lose a, p- a pound of grain mm. or something, you know, but basically that's um, another way of looking at it, right? Because, you know, they have not been chemically treated so because they don't like that. So, okay. you know, so there's some consolation there, a very small one. But typically I think the best is large amounts in a cool, dark place, your everyday quick cooking grains and stuff, I would have them on there, no problem. Don't put them in the sunlight, obviously. So if that's what you have, no, I wouldn't store them there. It should be my kitchen, you know, I have them on the wall away from the window and that works really well and I've never had a problem in my ever in my kitchen. So, you know, it's really, it's a very rare thing. The one thing um, when we talk about fresh flour, so the, the biggest concern with fresh flour is actually unlike what people think. People think, you know, immediately, oh, it'll go rancid overnight and mm-hmm. stuff. The real issue with fresh flour is it loses its flavor. Mm. So, I mean, that is something, you know, there's a lot of, um, yes, also you can taste it. Within a week or something, it's just different, right? And that's uh, why I've become in the past few years, I talk a lot about fresh milling. And of course, I go back to my German roots. You know, I've had this grain mill forever and I have one in in Munich also where I spend, um, you know, my summers. And, um, you know, that is uh, the the fresh milling is just a different ballgame. And we have now, which is beautiful, actually, in the U.S., we do have, you know, for example, uh, incidentally, a German company called Mockmill mm-hmm. has come out with an attachment for KitchenAid stand amazing. mixer, which is really amazing because even if you just make pancakes or, um, you know, waffles or quick breads, it will be a game changer. I mean, I be, you can literally, I mean, you'll be like, wow, 
I've done this with friends. I brought the same spelt bread within, you know, spelt quick bread within two weeks. And they said, it tastes so different. I'm like, yeah, strawberry flour. <laughs> you know, and they were, we were basically trying to first figure out. And then I'm like, yes, I had melt the fresh flour. So, so it's really something worth looking at if you love, even for kids, right? It's also nice for children to see, right, how the grain becomes flour. We have lost all of this, mm. right? And then you, the big mystifying thing for people is always, um, yeah, I'm afraid that my grains will, do I have to store them in the freezer, in the fridge? And I would say, don't do it, don't do it. Because, you know, I have no space in my fridge. Mm. If you have so much space, if you have space in the freezer, great, right? But typically I recommend, I don't recommend that, but the grain mill enables you something like the grain mill attachment to just mill what you need. So then you have no problems with the flour. You know, flour doesn't go bad overnight. If you store it in a cool, dark place, it's fine, but um, it will last also a few months. I mean, some research I've seen even up to six months, mm. you know, without going rancid. But the thing is, for me, is the flavor is gone. So, you know, so if you want the full flavor in your bread, in your, like, even in something as simple as a muffin, I have a rye muffin, orange scented rye muffin with walnut streusel, which I love. I mean, when you make this with freshly milled rye, it's like, oh my God, it's just a total difference. A difference. It's a total difference. So I highly recommend, you know, if you are a passionate baker, I highly recommend you look into that. And like, even like with, like I said, um, like a, the attachment or of course, you know, if you're crazy like me, you get yourself a tabletop mill, but that's a whole different issue. That's amazing to hear though, that they're bringing it to the masses. It's just the next step into normalizing um, what is traditionally very difficult to obtain just doing it yourself on a smaller scale yeah and i mean interesting enough right in india also traditionally people were milling the flour fresh for their chapatis mm -hmm. and i don't know how this was in korea right like i mean it's interesting yes. you know um it was of course done often by hand which is yeah. crazy Stone so point. and i'm not a proponent i have to tell you we also have some great mills that you can do with bikes and stuff in america <laughs> But I just don't see that for me. Yeah. I'm very happy to push a button yeah. and go the German way, you know. <laughs> efficient. So, efficient and good quality. Yes. It's really an in ingenious design. I have to say they sent me a model, you know. So I tested that and I've worked with it for a long time. So I say this now, um, you know, I, I believe in those um, efficiencies in my kitchen, you know, because I love to bake. Absolutely. <laughs> what are some of your other favorite tools that maybe don't have anything to do with baking, but what are some valuable kitchen tools or gadgets you are constantly turning to? Beautiful. Um, for grain cooking, I think you need a set of really good pots. I think there is no way, you know, if you especially, I love to cook my grains to simmer them basically with just enough water so that they're fully cooked. And um, there's different ways of cooking grains, but that's it's called the absorption me method. Mm -hmm. And I love that if you have a good set, it can be only three pots is totally sufficient. I don't think you need 10 or 15, but three pots, you know, just uh, with good thick bottom, um, heavy pots with a tight fitting lid. That's the other part. I think that's the only thing you need for grain cooking. I mean, is there anything else I would recommend? The jars I mentioned, I use very simple mason jars for storage. And that's it. I mean, grain cooking is really very um, traditional hard. and rudimentary, like, you know, in the sense of kind of very traditional and simple. And anyone can do it. Exactly. Do you have an ultimate comfort food? I 
think it's probably polenta, but my there's a lot of it is always changing, you know. So it will be polenta this week and millet porridge next week and oatmeal uh, next week. So it's really I love to vary my food and I get really easily bored. My husband is a happy lunch eater. He eats last night dinner for lunch. I would rather have something new. So I am the kind of constantly varying. That's why I'm also working in yeah. food now, you know, changing up everything all the time. But That's why you pair well together. Thank you. So do you have a favorite cuisine or do you like all cuisines since your interests vary so widely? That's also a great question because I do eat really everything and I do try everything and I've come to learn over a long life now <laughs> that... Um, if I don't like something, chances are very high that it was not prepared well. I have, you know, I used to think I don't like this, I don't like this. I used to be kind of, ew, you know, with certain foods. And now I have no way. It's usually it wasn't prepared by someone that knows how to cook this. Wherever I travel in my life, I've traveled a lot, mm -hmm. um, also to Asia and um I used to say, I don't like this. And then I was like, oh, yes, I love this because it was prepared by someone who knew how to do it, you know. And I do think that's the key to everything. We have to try things more than once. I always say this. Our palate is a creature of habit. Can I say this about the palate? Absolutely. You know, so also with children, when you teach them, you have to, to bring get, exactly, I'm sure you know, because you have a, such yeah. a sweet, I know her uh, Instagram daughter. <laughs> so with kids, it's the same, but it's with adults the same too. I we have so. to eat everything more than once. When I traveled with my husband to India, I said, I'm not touching those sweets in India because they were weird, right? Like I never had sweet like this. They're boiled milk with sugar and they boiled for hours. But then I learned after working there for nine months with my husband, I learned um, to see when these sweets are at their best. And when we would walk into an Indian sweet store, I could say, these are fresh, these are good, these are divine, and these are not good, you know? So that was the thing. So again, I had to learn um, to appreciate them, eating them more than once, but also learning when they're prepared by someone that knows the craft. That's such an important yeah. lesson. You have to know what it, it, knowledge is power. So just keep pushing yourself and training yourself to try new things many times over. I will try absolutely everything. My husband is always shocked. I will never say no to any food. It's just something I want to, you know, it's, it's an experience. It's beautiful. Well, Maria, so lovely to have you here today. I love chatting with you on and offline. And uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing with our audience where we can find your work moving forward so we can keep tabs on your great work. Thank you so much. I so enjoyed that. As you know, it's really hard to stop me talking about whole grains. <laughs> I just, it's its my, my lifelong passion. And I am on Instagram, Maria Speck, um, at Maria Speck. And I'm obviously, I have my website, mariaspeck.com with my work. So thank you again. It was such a pleasure. Fantastic. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for listening to Chowhound's Table Talk. Keep up with the latest on our site, chowhound.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social.